Oscar Poker. Okay, this is um, um, this is episode five mm-hmm. of Oscar Poker. This is episode five of Oscar Poker. <laughs> <laughs> episode five. <laughs> We're still doing it. We're still, you know. I feel spunky suddenly. Okay. Oh, good, good. The Red Bull's kicking uh, in. Yeah. <laughs> I ha- except I haven't had my Red Bull this morning. Oh, see, that's the problem. And this is Sasha Stone I'm speaking to. Hello, Sasha Stone. Hello. Hello, hello, Jeff. And hello, Phil Catrino of BoxOffice.com. How are you doing, man? Hey, guys. Thanks again for having me. Well, let's jump in, Phil. Let's start things off on a Sunday (laughs) afternoon, or Sunday afternoon in in New York anyway, uh, with discussions of what happened with uh, uh, a paranormal occurrence too, and uh, and why uh, it did as well as it, it's going to do. What fifty one million? You, you tell us, Phil. Tell me what's going on. Uh, yeah, it's uh, forty one point five domestically, and a, a surprising thing too is another twenty two million from twenty one markets overseas. So it's already a, a huge hit because the budget was three million. So. Paramount has a lot to be happy about this. Weekend. Wait a minute, are we, are we dead sure about the three million dollar budget? Because I thought it was significant. I thought I read. Maybe I'm wrong, but didn't I read they could they it cost thirteen or something? Am I wrong? Uh the most recent email I got from Paramount here uh, is saying three million. So, but that's only that can only be production budget. I don't know how much they spend on, um, you know, P and A. Okay. So, you know, they could have a little bit more invested into it, but. Yeah, you know, either way, either way you look at it, it's a huge hit already. Um, and the, and the B from one, Cinema Score. B from uh, Cinema Score, okay. Yeah, which is reassuring. Uh, 54% female and 61% under 25. Not a surprise there. Um, so, yeah, a successful weekend. Elder, I was sitting next to some guys when I saw it on Thursday night, uh, a gentleman of a African-American persuasion who were very, very displeased with the ending. Hmm. And they were going boo, you know, and I, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it was a little abrupt, a little sudden, uh, but they were booing. So I think that's what the B is about rather than an A or an A plus or whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the, the ending to the original one even had a lot of detractors. I remember a lot of people saying to me, you know, that was really corny. I didn't buy it. You know, this, mm. this was weak. Um, but, you know, there, there's some early signs that the word of mouth, I think, is generally going to be good. Um, you know, we track Facebook and it's already added – 88,000, more than 88,000 likes since Friday night, which is wow. a very good number. Um, that's, that's very high for something like this. So, good Lord. You know, the, but the big problem is it, it's going up next weekend against Soft 3D. Oh. So they're, you know, it's going to be a, they're gunning for the same audience. <laughs> that, that, sound, that sound coming out of Sasha. Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry. Oh. This is the world I live in, guys. This is the world I live in. I know, and you're doing a great job, Phil. It's just that we're just both yeah. dumbfounded. It's okay. You know what? This is the world we live in. We all live in this world, right? They, they, people are going to the movies, but they're going to see, you know, 
things that scare them that they know exactly what they're getting. This is the McDonald's generation, right? Growing up. And I'll tell you, every second of that film, I was completely riveted. I was studying, waiting for the thing that I that I knew that was that was coming. And uh, that says something for this, you know, you want to call it a mini genre or whatever, but I was not in, in the least bit bored. And I was, um, uh, there was a woman sitting right next to me who was, I could tell, unnerved because she kept going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, <laughs> and oh, you know. So. And one guy said, will you shut the fuck up? They were, uh, talking too much because they were unnerved. Oh, my God. That's a movie that, you know, listen, it's low tech. I understand that. We all get that. But it does, I mean, it's so refreshing or, or welcome. It's not refreshing, but it's very welcome to watch a horror film that is not about the usual manipulations that were completely, uh, you know. Uh, now, this has shocking stuff, but, it, but to, to see it through a security camera uh, is, to me, it's, it's at least a little different. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was with it, so, yeah. Oh, that's good. So you liked it. Well, that that's something. I mean, I didn't see it, and I will never see it probably, but um, it's just not my thing. You know, it doesn't really forward the genre. I understand people going out and wanting to have a good time and um, – you know. What about what about Emma and her tweener friends? Do they want to go see it? No, not a chance. Not even I mean, on not their radar. Chance, not a chance you won't let her or not a chance they will go on their own? It's just not her thing. It's not her friends. They're not talking about that movie at all. It's not even – Oh, yeah. interesting. But it's probably for the, you know, uh, much older and I would think boys, you know. Well, wait a minute, Phil. Didn't I read in your boxoffice.com report that the uh, demographic was fifty-four percent female? Or what? You, yeah, you say? that's correct. Yeah, that's hmm. what Paramount's reporting. Yeah, so that's that's kind of interesting. I'm I'm a little bit surprised by that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's a date movie, I think, too. You know, as weird as that sounds, it is a is something that couples can go see and you know have a good scare and. You know, it's an opportunity to cuddle, and <laughs> and you know, there you go. Well, I tell um, you something. It used to be back in the early days of the internet that mostly um, kind of nerdy eggheads were online, and so you didn't get really a good, clear picture of what the general public was like. But now, since everybody's on Twitter and Facebook, you really get a good idea of you know the sweeping masses, and you do see exactly you know what you're talking about, like um, paranormal too. And I was looking on boxoffice.com. You have a like a Twitter chart, you know, and you have a Facebook chart. So you're showing what's trending on both of those sites. And it's amazing, yep. Jeff, because it's like Saw and Paranormal Activity, you know, and Jackass are the three top trending <laughs> movies, you know. <laughs> what about the, um, I know the social network is still sort of hanging in there. It only went down 29% this weekend, right, Phil? Yeah, that's correct. Let me uh, pull up the chart here just to confirm. But um, I yeah, twenty nine percent. Yeah, wasn't um, it, wasn't it dropping? You know, low thirties before. So I mean, it's kind of unusual for them to drop less in the fourth week than it did this second and third, right? Mm. Yeah, that's that's an excellent sign. And you know, when we spoke during the film's opening weekend, I said it was probably going to hit ninety, and it it generally seems to still be on pace for that. I mean, next weekend it'll probably be at close to 80 or or maybe like you know 87 80 or, or uh, 77 78 somewhere around there um so yeah it's it's hanging around and it's it's an, it's performing very well i'm i'm very happy that it's um you know bringing in as much as it is so people yeah. are responding to it so you don't think phil that the social network might limp across the finish line with 100 million at the end of the day uh, like uh, like salt did somewhat it just barely made 100 
plus uh, salt did, and I thought maybe it might um, possibly make maybe, that milestone. You know, maybe there's an outside chance of it, but I think Saucer, you brought this up before that if they released this a little later into the fall, it would have seen more of a bump in terms of you know people wanting to see it because it has that award season buzz to it. Right now, every like you know our circles are talking about it being an awards contender, but. You know, how much does, is the mainstream public aware of that? Whereas if they put it out November 1st instead of October 1st, mm -hmm. you would see more of the bump. And then I could see it maybe, you know, reaching 100 million. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to struggle to, to get to it at this point. Okay. Um, and, and you're hitting a lot of, you know, like I said, due date November 5th is going to be huge. And that's going <laughs> to, you know, yeah. come and sweep away a lot of the audience. My, my own instinct is that it's going gonna, it's gonna to hang in there. It's going to do really well at awards time. And it's going to go past 100 million I'm going to guess but right. Phil knows better than I do so <laughs> well the main issue is keeping the theaters you know what I mean it, it needs to hold on to a, a decent chunk of theaters or else it doesn't have really a shot at doing that right um, and you also have to think about it in terms of you know how many people are really going to see it after it you know gets all this awards season you know nominations because I think it's already hitting a very refined intelligent audience as it is hmm. that are you know, that's that's kind of in tune with this kind of thing. So, what about you know, the people that are going to Paranormal and Jackass and and don't want to see a movie that's uh, presumably a little more, you know, they hear uh, a little more, you know, uh, sort of upmarket, a little more cerebral. They're they're not going to go to this thing. But but more than you think, they might uh, default to it eventually if it if it hangs around and they have nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, no, not really, because yeah, we're headed right into the heart of you know the, the fall movie season, and you know there's a bunch yeah. of big uh, movies coming out that are really going to hit that sweet spot. For that's this movie. that's a good point. Although I am watching the, I'm still watching the trending topic social network on Twitter, and I am seeing a lot of people. This is the best movie of 2010. I've never seen a better movie. I'm completely in love with the social network. You know, I mean, we're talking young. Mm -hmm. teenagers even and early 20s kind of people falling for it you know so i think they're right. going to tell their friends and you know it's just going to keep going but we'll see who knows yeah uh, phil what about the uh is there any uh do you have access to tracking or do you do you uh, t pick up any uh sense of the interest in tony scott's um unstoppable which was screened here uh um friday in new york and it was screened to guys like roger smith Roger, Roger in Orlando. Uh, I, he just blanked on his last name. Anyway, he's uh, he's going to hate me for that too. But I uh, <laughs> uh, he he's, he saw it and he likes it. And I you know this is a pretty tough uh, tough guy that I talk to who's no pushover. He doesn't like you know he doesn't care if a movie's popular or not. He says it's very very uh, efficient, good stuff. You know, really good thriller, and it doesn't have a villain. It's just about a you know how do we how do we stop this train from crashing into things. So, do you hear anything about it, or is there any uh, indications, or any any tracking, or anything? Um, well, you know, we know we mostly pay attention to what's happening online. I put more of a value on that than I do the traditional studio tracking. Um, and you know, it's not lighting the online world on fire. Let it let me put it that way. But it's also an, an adult skewing movie, and. I don't expect it to do insane amount of numbers. Wait a minute. Um, it's not an adult skewing movie. I mean, you say it is. Um, it's too. It's seen as too simplistic. Is that what you mean? No, I just see it playing much better with you know twenty five and up. Um, you know. For, Wait, for why? Why up. would a move? Would, would a train just like you know uh, got to stop the train? That's about as primitive as you can get. Why would the under twenty fives be saying no? That's not for me. 
I don't say I don't think they're necessarily going to be saying no, but Denzel Washington brings I think an an older you know crowd with him, and he he draws in you know that demographic more. And Chris Pine doesn't does. matter. Uh, not yet. I mean, people recognize him, but he's he's far from a reliable box office draw, and it's he's not at the point in his career where you can say that you know he's going to add. Um, something to the to the movie's grosses. I mean, you know, yeah, the Trekkies might like him, but does that mean that they're gonna, you know, show up to see him in another movie? Uh, ah, yeah. you know, maybe. Um, but at this point, it's it's too uh, too early in his career to to say that. But I mean, in terms of the Facebook, uh, you know, fan count for it, it's it's doing okay right now. It's got about twenty eight hundred fans, which is, you know, that's decent. I mean, the town at this. Point in its release, or you know, before release, probably had about the same. Mm. Um, you know, so you don't expect much from that. It's not doing much on Twitter, but Twitter's big for you know the, the days leading up to a movie's release. That's when you really see people start saying, "Okay, you know, I'm going to see Unstoppable this weekend." So let's fill. Let me just ask you. You said something significant. This is uh, this is not of a more of a, a tradey type of thing, but um, but but there are three significant and well used. Um, uh, uh, tracking companies that service the Hollywood industry, and they have their uh, numbers. When you throw them all together as an aggregate, um, uh, that's pretty much what people go by. And you just said that you tend to not uh, give those numbers provided by these professional agencies based on phone interviews as much weight as the uh, likes on Facebook and and Twitter, right? Yeah, that's correct. Because I mean, we're we're entering an age where people are. You know, moviegoers are responding to things immediately and and telling us exactly what they want to see when. Mm. Um, so you know, I I think, again, you know, calling somebody on the phone and saying, "Hey, do you want to see Unstoppable?" They might say, "Well, yeah, I'm thinking about it," or whatever. They could change their mind between you know the time that you call them on the phone and the time Friday rolls around and they're they're making plans with their friends. Mm. Whereas if on Facebook somebody goes on there on a Friday afternoon says, I like Unstoppable, you know, they like the page, and then they type in their profile, you know, I'm going to see Unstoppable in, in two hours, you know, which, which means more. Or yeah. even if they do it on a, on a Thursday and they, they do the same thing, you know, hey, I'm going to see Unstoppable with some friends tomorrow night. That, to me, you know, speaks mm. volumes. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I mean, if you're, if you're on and you're connected to, let's say, 2,000 of your friends on Twitter, right, and these are your friends who you go to school with, um, that you actually know in the real world, you know, and you say, and they're all looking for something to do on Saturday night, you know, it's either a party at so-and-so's house or we're going to see paranormal activity. Well, then you're going to tell all your friends with one tweet where you're going and what you're doing. I mean, that, that can have tremendous impact. Mm. Social networking. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. All right. So that, is that it for the box office? Are we going to go any uh, further? What do you well, want briefly else here after we should probably touch base on that because, uh, the cinema score is a C plus, which ouch. is not good at all. That's that's pretty disconcerting. Oh dear! Um, and eighty percent was over thirty. Oh. So this means no, you know, young people are not going to see this movie, even though it has Matt Damon um, in it. And fifty six percent was female. So and it's it's going to do twelve million this weekend, according to the estimate from Warner Brothers. So ouch. Um, Kind of, I guess, I the, there goes its I, I, talk for Best Picture. I felt the same mm -hmm. thing uh, when I saw it in Toronto. I, I, I happen to feel that Damon is the best thing about it. When, when he is doing his 
uh, he's channeling and and reading. He has a, kind of an ESP uh, thing about being able to uh, to sense uh, the, uh, the the longings and the lingering unsettled issues of people who have passed on. And 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 I thought he was really good. I believed him when he's doing it because he's. Uh, I just didn't feel he was acting. I, I really was with him. But uh, but uh, but the feeling in the room. I'm talking about a theater in Toronto, was so flat. It was mm. like you know nobody was hanging around. Everybody just got up. All right, you know, out to the lobby, turn on the iPhone, off to the next thing. Nobody, there was no lingering anything, so I'm not surprised to hear this. Well, it does have quite a few people in its in its corner, though. I mean, it's not, you can't just write off major uh, rave reviews from the New York Times, the LA Times, Time Magazine, and Ebert. You can if you want, but I'm telling you, that's the heart of the Academy right there. Everybody wrote off Invictus, too, last year, and that managed to get Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon both nominations. It is Clint Eastwood, he's... Hollywood royalty. I mean, he's Academy royalty. I don't think he's, you can write it off. It doesn't, you know, it's uh, not always about the horse race. It's not always about the winners and the losers. There are other factors to consider. Um, you know. You, you can't hit uh, a homer or a triple every time out. Any any power hitter in the major leagues will tell you that. Uh, just because uh, there's the, he defaults, there's a huge default for uh, deference and respect shown to Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Who's, got one of the greatest metaphors going in the history of the human race, which is you get better and better when you get into your 70s and 80s. I know, right? Is there anybody who doesn't love that idea? I mean, that's and, and these are a lot of Academy voters right there. They are people in their, you know, 60s, 70s who are, right. you know, they don't want to see that, that the whole world is skewing to the, you know, 18 to yeah. 24 crowd, yeah. you know? So I... I think you should watch it as a potential sleeper. I don't know about Best Picture, but I think it'll pick up some nominations here and there. I could be totally wrong. We just have to see how it goes, you know. But let's say that the rest of the movies coming out completely bomb and that they're not as good as everybody hopes they are. Well, then everybody's going to start looking back to this part of the year, and you just never know what's going to happen. So, Phil, are there any small uh, limited breaks, any of the documentaries, anything interesting that you noted this week that, that might indicate uh, a strength uh, down the road, anything smallish, limited releases, anything like that? Yeah, one thing that you know popped up on my radar is definitely 127 hours. I caught a screening of it uh, you know, last week, the, the same day I saw Jackass 3D, so that made for a, an interesting day of you know, <laughs> <laughs> graphic material. Um, but it's it's one of these things where I think it could it could definitely break out, and, and I'm really, you know, I love the movie, and and this is why you know 95% of the time I try to avoid um, you know seeing a movie un, until I've predicted it because I, I get these you know emotions that that come in, and I have a hard time being objective, and yeah. that's, this is going to be the case for this. Um, 127 hours. It's tough because you know this is this is why I try to avoid seeing movies until after they've opened and I've you know released my predictions and everything because it's it's tough to to stay objective with this one because I think it's a great movie and and a lot of people should see it. But you know the, there's the uh, you know anybody who's squeamish is going to have a tough time with it, and I'm I'm rooting for it. And, and Fox Searchlight does a great job handling these you know gritty tough movies and. Ultimately, I think what's going to win out with this movie is that, you know, it, it puts you through hell. You know, literally, you're you're in this guy's shoes, but then at the end, there's a huge emotional payoff, and I think audiences will, will they'll respond to it because they'll say, you know, well, it was tough, it was hard to get through, but man, did it pay off, and and I felt good at the end. So, you know, I'd I'd love to see it do like twenty twenty five million or or even more. Like I'd love to see it really just break out and 
and and show a lot of momentum and and get the recognition it deserves. Was mm-hmm. there any? Did you see it with a paying audience, Phil? No, no, I caught a screening in New York. Um, they, they're starting to screen it there now. Was anybody um, uh, moaning so, moaning during the the the, the, the big scene? The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely moaning. Audible moaning coming uh, from people. People, you know, female, and and shuffling in the seats too. Oh. That was big. You know, people couldn't sit still, right. um, which is always a big indication that they're you know uncomfortable, even if they're not. It, you know, it was a press screening, so people aren't going to react right. um, too obnoxiously. But the shifting in the seats, I definitely heard plenty of that. Right. Um, so yeah. It's interesting, but it, you know, I walked out and I felt the, the vibes were good. You know, everybody in there seemed to to be going with it for the most part. And I'm, I'm a big believer in that. You know, one scene, once once mainstream audiences get their hands on or or find out that there's a specific scene in a movie that really compels them, that can be enough to get them to go to the theater. And I think the curiosity factor will kick in in a big way when people find out. You know, he cuts off his own arm, and you know they don't shy away from it. You see it, and you see him stabbing into it and everything like that, and people are going to say, "Really?" And you know, <laughs> it kicks in the same way I said with the the cocaine scene at the end of Social Network. People hear that and they're like, "You know, really? They they put that in there?" Um, it just takes one of those little things to really kind of spur people to go see a movie. Remember those paranormal experience uh, um, um, uh, night vision uh, footage that they used to promote the first one, and you saw people kind of reacting to what it was happening in the film, and they, you know, it was that green tinted night vision photography. Mm-hmm. If they, if someone wanted to do a snarky uh, uh, YouTube thing on their own, they would. Uh, shoot uh, people reacting to the James Franco arm slicing scene mm-hmm. and and put a montage <laughs> together because you'd, you'd see people with their hands going up to their mouths and sh- as you say all those all these kind of, oh no you know um, yeah. not not to tar the film that would be unfair but it would be interesting visually just to look at reactions so. well I remember I when I saw it um, I started to look around because I knew it was coming you know and I watch the faces of particularly the older women but the men too you know I was just trying to see what people uh. were doing because everybody knew it was coming you know uh, uh. and uh, I'm usually the kind of person that looks away but I didn't I forced <laughs> 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 I forced myself to stare at it and the reason I did that was A curiosity but B I, I want to know uh, what I have to do if I ever get into that situation I uh. want to know how bad is it going to get because the thing about it is that it's not done to shock it's not done um, as entertainment or horror it's done very realistically about a guy who knows what he's doing more than most people would in that situation and he's doing it I mean he first he has to break his arm then he has to cut through the skin then he has to you know rip out the the nerve so you know this is all the stuff you're gonna have to do if you ever had to cut through your arm so it's interesting too it's not just gross and freaky you know <laughs> I don't want to think. I mean, you should you should see me when I accidentally um, slice my finger when I'm slicing a piece of cheese or something, or you know, uh, if I step on a thumbtack. I mean, I'm a real child. I I, I groan and I go ah. I'm just imagining what would I do if that kind of thing happened to happen. I don't want to think about. I don't think that my repertoire of of showing pain would be. Uh, up to the um, uh, nerve sensations I'd be getting from that kind of thing. It's just beyond my um, uh, 
anyway, it's always kind of fascinating. So, but you're so. not curious on some level. Like, let's say you hadn't seen the movie, wouldn't you be curious as to how he did it and you know what it takes to to get out of a situation like that? I think that that curiosity factor is going to be huge with this movie. It's a, you know the, 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 what Phil was saying is that what once it's done and he's got the plastic bag and the you know and he's and he's uh, done even what he can to cover his arm up. It really is an enormous sense of, uh, of of almost accomplishment. It's a weird way to put mm-hmm. it, but but you feel good for the guy. And say, well, thank God, at least you know he's not going to die. You know, and it gets better and better. And by the time the movie's over, it's really quite the uh, you know it's a sense of release that's very uh, very real. So absolutely, I couldn't breathe until the end, and mm-hmm. you know. I was like wiping tears away and everybody behind me and around me, they were all making these kind of reactionary noises like, wow, you know, oh, and like laughing at how intense it was. And just, mm. you know, there was a, a reaction in the theater. Like, I mm. can't think of another movie where that's the case when the, right. the movie ends and people start to react to it. Mm. I mean, right. can you think of one? I can't. Um, maybe The Exorcist. It's fairly novel. I, I don't think any film has ever gone in this direction, to my knowledge. I mean, mm. I can't, not even a document, not a document, nothing, you know. So, pretty unusual. My yeah. cat just walked on the keyboard. That, that created a, you know, <laughs> odd sound, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, okay, right. so what do we think about that, um, Phil? What do you think it's going to do, um, 127 hours, box office-wise? It really depends a lot on how many screens box searchlight for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the wrestler, the widest that went around uh, 76 yeah. at, at its peak. Um, gonna, I was going to ask you if you thought any movie was going to be able to beat Toy Story's $400 million box office this year. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is uh, no. I don't think Harry Potter, that this one's going to get there. I think the second one, uh, the, you know, part two of the, the last Harry Potter uh, movies, that'll do much better than part one oh. because people counts. are going to want to yeah savor it they'll they'll go see you'll get more multiple viewings i don't think you're going to get a lot uh, many multiple viewings or as many as you, you normally would out of the first one just because people know that the the second part's coming you know soon enough and nobody um, out there feels as i do which is that they're being uh ex- this, this whole finale is being extended in the most cynical way imaginable which is they could easily, if they so chose, make it a single final Deathly Hallows movie without two parts. They're doing it in order to make more money, and no one has any uh, adverse reaction to that. That's totally fine. We'll be happy to see two concluding uh, uh, Harry Potters. In fact, we like them so much, we're looking forward to the opportunity to see two of them. We don't mind that they're just deliberately extending this just so they can you know, make more money. I just, I find myself so turned off by that. Well, fans are often upset that things get cut out of the book when they, when they make the movie. So I think that's what a lot of fans are thinking, you know, Hey, if they're, they're putting out two movies, that means they're yeah. going to be, you know, stay more consistent with the book. So, okay. Um, and these are, you're talking about rabid fans, so they don't mind shelling out yeah, uh, you know, my- twice. And, and the same thing with Twilight. That's why they split that up. You know, it's, yeah. No, I was just going to say my daughter has read, you know, these Harry Potter books at least 10 times each book, and she couldn't be more excited that there are two movies coming. All right. Thanks, Phil. Okay. Thanks again, guys. Talk to you soon. Be well. Bye. Bye.
now that we're off the numbers and box office and, and cinema score, I thought we could uh, start by talking about the Anne Hathaway uh, in uh, Love and Other Drugs okay. situation, which is a situation that's rather marginal and small and, ter- and territorial as far as Oscar blogs and awards contender had- handicappers are concerned. To wit, nobody will give uh, her the benefit of the doubt of being a possible uh, you know, a best actress contender, at least based on the smell of it. Not about having seen the film. I understand it hasn't been screened yet, but uh, all along, and we all know that uh, people, when they when they throw these names into the hopper and, and say, well, this is uh, looking good. You know, Scott Feinberg does this kind of thing all the time. He says, this, this person, and people are giving a lot of uh, weight, I think, uh, to based upon the trailer of, of, say, Christian Bale in The Fighter. Right. He looks like he's doing a strong support. That's a very good no point. Question, yeah. you know. And I could be, we could pick out any number of performances based on trailer alone. You can you could tell from the trailer of The King's Speech if there was one earlier, which there wasn't. But if you had seen it earlier, you'd know right away from looking at. First of all, it's Colin Firth, and you could see him stammering, and you can see that it's some kind of relationship thing between he and Jeffrey Rush. You know, you would know that this is uh, being flagged for a, a likely awards-type um, uh, performance. So, you know, there's we don't know what the game is. You just kind of go on the hints and the indications. And then in this phase two, of course, you actually see the film. And then you make your decisions or your, your you know, how enthusiastic uh, you personally are, how others are. And then the phase three is when the public responds to it and so on. You know, right, right. Nobody right. will go there with Anne Hathaway. And I, and I was speculating today, nobody has gone there so far. I mean, there seems to be almost what I called a mule-like resistance to the idea. Because <laughs> I think that, you know, one, it's, it's that uh, it's, there's something a little special. Uh, spry and sprung and kind of a kind of you know in a kind of a rom-commy jazzy way about this movie and that immediately consigns it to the realm of just you know possibly commercial hit but not a words like thing because there has to be a certain solemnity about um a performance uh you know you know the film has to be kind of touch bottom it has to be real you have to feel the commonality we have to feel our own uh, uh our own experience you know and 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 films that are that are, have a kind of an uh kind of a romantic energy and feel kind of kind of bouncy mm-hmm. um, are not what uh, reality is they're they're an attitude they're a kind of an entertainment and and it's really interesting because love and other drugs as of which I did see a few days ago at a screening in Manhattan is not quite any one thing it, it really kind of traverses genres it's 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 pretty solemn and pretty pretty uh, real and it's, it's not terms of endearment but it, it's terms of endearment with with more pluck and more mm-hmm. attitude more of a thing it's not Jerry Maguire exactly but it's close to Jerry Maguire and it's and it's kind of James L. Brooksy but not quite it's a little more uh, it's a little faster a little jazzier uh, it's hard to just to describe but I've, I've done a fairly decent job of describing it and I'm only saying that I just feel this reticence with this resistance to even float her name. I'm not talking about, mm. you know, you agree or she should be. I'm, that's a whole different thing. I'm talking about just an initial resistance of even going there in a speculative way. So what do you right. think? Well, I, I think the reason for that is that um, despite the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio was nominated for Blood Diamond, um, I think people are skeptical of Ed Zwick's movies being Oscar movies because um, right. Defiance Everybody kind of said that about Defiance, that it was going to be the big Oscar movie. It was on everybody's list. So-and-so was going to get this nomination. Mm-hmm. It 
it finally got one nomination and that was for the score. That was mm. it. So yeah. I think, you know, Oscar prognosticators or whatever you want to call them, they only mm. go by what happened last year usually. So if last year there were um, there were too many front runners that were disappointments, then they don't count them this year as these are going to be the movies, you know, let's wait and see what comes out and go that way instead of prejudging films before they come out. Right. So that's what okay. I see what's happening with this movie <clears throat> is that not <throat> enough people have seen it. And there's not any real buzz. There seems to be a lot of forced buzz about it to me. What's um, forced? Forced. I, like I'm, people I'm not forced. I'm not being forced about not it. Not you, not you, but I get a lot of, you know, people writing in, I don't know who they are, but you know, what about Anne Hathaway and Love and Other Drugs? But it's not just what about Anne Hathaway, it's what about the whole movie? What about Jake? What about uh, Best Picture? And it's like by now there are so many actresses crowding into the best actress race okay. that she has to be extraordinary to break through those names. The film has to be really that good. Because it's not even about that she's not there. It's about who else is already there and moving them out of the way. Who are you going to bump? You know, who, what actress isn't going to take that last spot when you've got all these actresses competing? You've got Michelle Williams, you've got Naomi Watts, you've got, um, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's not, I, I just, but, I see Anne well, Hathaway about, is on the list, but she's down, she's pretty far down on the list. She'd, she'd be like my number 10. How about the, the the tonal thing uh, they're all kind of you know Jennifer Lawrence mm -hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't dispute that for a second but they're all tonally in the same wheelhouse in a way they're all uh, kind of you know weight lifting the world on their backs holding their 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 end uh, there it's not life is not easy these are you know women uh, female roles of, mm -hmm. that are about uh, adversity and and real struggle. Um, uh, right, I mean, there, and this yeah. is, uh, you know, she's and Hathaway is about struggle. Also, her character, her name is Maggie Murdoch. She's dealing with first stage Parkinson's, uh, but it's not about trying to make you laugh. You know, it's it, it's uh, it's it's um, you know, it's a lot of rage on her part. It's like get, I don't want to be touched. I want to get away from me. So it's 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 pretty real. But and you understand anybody who would uh, they feel they haven't got a long future. They haven't got. 20 years of a relationship or whatever they don't have much of an old age to look forward to and uh and so you i completely understand why a person would be reticent uh or even determined not to have a serious emotional life. she loves the idea of, of, of great sex with good looking guys but she doesn't want to fall in love with anybody or vice versa hmm. so that's real enough uh, i don't see what's what the problem with that is i mean you can i don't say think it's that it doesn't sound that real to me it sounds like a male fantasy tragic figure Woody Allen kind of thing of you know the dying sexy dying girl who just wants to take off her clothes every five seconds you know why is she dying I don't think that Parkinson's is a death thing it's a it's a slow debilitation hmm. that results in real problems when you get to stage three and four as I understand it well maybe she'll pull it off but I can tell you this right now is that one of the reasons she's not being taken that seriously is the marketing so far the trailers and the posters make it look like the silliest movie it it looks like a Katherine Heigl movie, you know. They're not positioning it like an Oscar movie, so I don't know what they expect people to to say. You know was it I mean? you that pointed out? Uh, somebody pointed out to me that there was, and I can't really uh, point to which uh, trailer, but they 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 claim was it Scott Feinberg perhaps uh, in conversation that that they had alluded to uh, Parkinson's as a factor in the early marketing early mm. trail 
and they've completely gotten rid of that. And uh, I'm guessing that's because it's proven to be not, uh, you know, it's, it's not it's not attracting people when they understand that. And so they're making it seem like a Catherine Heigl movie and letting people find out on their own when they get there. Right. I mean, the, and so you have to conclude from that that they don't care as much about the Oscars as they care about the box office, which is right. fine. I mean, that, that's a that's going to give, if he has a hit, that's going to give Ed Zwick a lot more power, right? A lot more maybe than an, even an Oscar oh. nomination would. So, And also it's, it's win-win because if the movie does well at the box office, it has a much better chance if it's about all these serious subjects of – you know, hitting it in the Oscar race. It's just time spreading out. You know, the lists are starting to get made. And for her to get in there, they have to really like the movie. And it has to, she has to have an extraordinary performance. It can't just be good enough. It has to be her uh-huh. best. It has to be better than last year's um, Rachel Getting Married. She was, uh, for my money, that was a really killer performance. I thought she was amazing in that. Uh, this is um, not as dark because it's done under the uh, if it, it, it's under uh, the the guidance of a of a guy who's trying to make a satisfying romantic film that has a kind of a comedic uh, thing to it. So it's not the same thing. But that was amazing. I thought she was great in that. Rachel I did Hedden. too. And but and she surprised people so much with that performance. And I think that um, now that puts her in the Oscar right. consideration category. But again, you have to knock out a whole bunch of different people. Look at how hard they're working for. Fox Searchlight and Hillary Swank for a nomination. I mean, that's like, you know, they're pulling out the stops for that one. So They are? Oh, yeah. I mean, in terms of publicity, um, Anne Hathaway versus Hillary Swank, you know. um, Okay. I don't know. Hillary Swank might win. We just don't know. It's too early. But I I totally agree with you, and I get what you're saying, that people are just dismissing it out of hand, and they might turn out to be wrong, you know. If if she were Ally McGraw in Love Story in this thing, in other words, if she had a fatal disease, I would run in the opposite direction. I wouldn't (laughs) let in. Because nothing more manipulative than a a doomed girl who's going to die and falling out. I hate that idea. I know what you're saying. But that's not what's going on. In fact, they they go to a convention... Uh, kind of an alternative convention where some Parkinson's uh, sufferers, Parkinson's uh, people that ha- are dealing with, I wouldn't say, you know, well, they are suffering. Let's, anyway, they're they're there, and they're basically you listen to a lot of people in the way that you listen to a lot of people in up in the air talk about, you know, being unemployed and what it feels like to be without an income and to take care, try take care of your family. It's the same type of thing. You see that that uh, a lot of people get up on stage talking about how they're living with it. And then there's a really brutal scene. It's, it's brutal in its, in its candidness in which a, an older guy who talks to Jake Gyllenhaal about uh, his considered feelings about being married to a woman with Parkinson's. It's, uh, it's surprising how blunt he is, and it's not, uh, it's not pleasant what he says. Hmm. So um, um, it's, it's really quite a, you know, it's a bit of a, um, it's a gnarly movie. It's not, not some kind of flighty, you know, comedic rom-com thing. But it is kind of rom-com-y in, in some ways. So it's funny. It's not one particular thing. Well, I tell you, I wouldn't have wanted to see this movie, but the way you've talked about it, you've made me want to see it. So um, it is possible that, you know, minds will be changed in time. But look at the best actress race. We've got Annette Benning, we've got Natalie Portman, we've got Jennifer Lawrence. That's three right there. So yeah. if you think yeah. that leaves two slots open, then we have yeah. all these actresses fighting for those two spots. So there's Nicole Kidman, right? Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. Rabbit Hole. I don't know if you think she's in or not. Um 
She's a very convincing. Uh, um, uh, it's uh, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with what she's fine. She's good. I, I say the movie though is a little bit earnest and it's not really uh, it doesn't really knock you out. It, but it is good. There's no question about it. This is a something that's been very well written and carefully uh, thrown in. It doesn't have there has very little in what you would call dishonest or false or manipulative moments. It feels really true to what it's about. So, but you have to ask yourself, you know, getting over the death of a, of a child, uh, grief management, right. how do you deal with that? I don't know how uplifting or, or, or not uplifting, but I don't know how metaphorically intriguing that idea is. I suppose we all have it in some way, but it isn't quite a transporting idea, but it's, but it's certainly well done. Right. Well, I, and I, I, one thing I think that might make Anne Hathaway stand out is that she is one of the only, you know, quote unquote, light performances. Uh, um, and she gets naked, right? So there's not a lot of that in the Oscar race. Huge naked elements going on in here. I mean, it's like uh, much more than I, I mean, this is almost like a 60s or 70s movie. And I was going, this is unusual. This really is. So um, what is it? Is it every body part nude? Uh, no pubic hair. But no. everything else. So, mo- mostly just breasts, then an ass. Breasts, ass, everything. And it's her for sure. It's not a body double. <laughs> um. Well, she talked about it being her when they shot it. Uh, when they did the Q and A afterwards. Um, it's. Um, it's just you know. It's really amazing. I just and it, you know it's funny because Ed Swick shoots the nudity in a in a very attractive way. There's ways to shoot it if you've ever um, looked at. <laughs> porn clum, clum, clumsily shot uh, <laughs> sex videos or porn it can be very unattractive you know? Uh, so, yeah, you know, it, there's nothing inherently attractive about making love in a visual sense I mean I can remember if I don't this isn't too uh, raw to say this hmm. I was in a room uh, with, a, with a girlfriend when I was much younger and I remember there being big mirrors on the ceiling and I remember looking at the two of us right in the middle of some gymnastic act and I remember thinking Jesus this isn't I mean this my my film critic came out and I wasn't even a film critic back then I was saying this isn't that attractive what I just saw you know it's 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 not you know it's not it's not sexy it's kind of like I don't know know? well there is a comical aspect to sex anyway you know it's just the movies that manage to make it look so great and romantic and perfect and you know yeah, my, my point exactly. I think there's just something that if you're in, when you're there, when you're the one who's actually uh, caressing someone's lips with your own and you're actually feeling their warmth and there's, there's the, you know, kind of the, kind of the, you know, um, it's, there's all kinds of things that start happening in your soul and in your head when you're kissing someone. It's just not the same to watch it. And you've got to do something to compensate for the fact that mm. you're not actually doing it. And the compensation is very nicely done. It's very attractive. It really is. So. Well, then that's, you know, I think that's a motivation, a motivator right there that, you know, people are at least going to watch the screener for it. And Jake Gyllenhaal is got, he is the most attractive he's ever been. He's in great shape physically. He's got this attitude thing. No, oh, he's just not my perfectly. thing. Eh, he's, he's not your thing? Not at all. It doesn't do it for me, that Jake Gyllenhaal. So... But that's You're okay. imagining, uh, for instance, let's say the guy in Brokeback Mountain. Being, not you know. even just that one. No, just his whole career. He's just not. I know a lot of people think he's really. A lot of women love him. He's just not my my thing. But that's okay. That doesn't mean anything if he's if he's believable in the part. You know, that's all that matters. 
I never me, thought. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I wanted to throw a couple of other actress names at you, and you just imagine in your head if you think that Anne Hathaway is more um, yeah. prominent than them. So yeah. there's um, Leslie Manville from another year. Uh, there's... Well, didn't we decide last week that it would be smarter for them to put her in Best Supporting? <laughs> I know we decided, but that doesn't mean that's going to be the decision. That really would be smart of them, seriously. They, they wouldn't have any problem if she were in that category. And right. you really could uh, make a very easy argument that that's where she should be because she's, even though she's kind of the strongest uh, female role in mm. that uh, Mike Lee film, Another Year, you could certainly get away with calling her a supporting. Right. And then there's Julianne Moore from The Kids Are All Right. And I don't think that's going to happen. You, you know, you and I both know that's not going to happen. They've decided upon Annette Benning. It's not fair, but they're not going to put them both up. Well, we'll see. I don't know. They might. It just depends on how much they like the movie or if there are other actresses competing. Hilary mm-hmm. Swank, um, Michelle Williams, and Blue Hilary Swank is completely not happening. You know, you know that. That's not. That's she's won twice, and the movie's not that good. It really isn't. I mean, it's not. Uh, it's just not going to happen. I, mean, I don't it's know. Not, they they nominated some you know pretty crappy performances over the years. I'm not she, saying well, hers I don't is think crappy. She's, she's not crappy. You understand? And she does okay for what she's she's trying to play that that person who's a real life person who's got her brother out of jail, but yeah. she's fine. But the movie isn't good enough. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I hope this doesn't uh, make me sound like I'm trying to. You know, dump on the movie, but it really isn't good enough in the realm we're talking about. It's it's okay. I mean, I was with a crowd that that clapped when things started to go well, and they were into it. Uh, I'm not trying to be and, a, a you know pisshead. I just don't. <laughs> Finally, what about um Tilda Swinton and I Am Love? Any chance there? Because I know they're making kind of a last minute run for that. I don't know if it has. I haven't watched it yet. I have it here. I got to tell you, I don't. Um, I, I do not detect and have never detected any any groundswell of of, of feeling for her, although. Yeah, unmistakably, to 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 be uh, as passionate and as and as genuine and real. Talk about you know nudity and 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 being in love with the wrong person and the whole class thing of you know basically falling in love with a chef, which is what she does in that film. And it's a and it's a real Visconti film. It feels Visconti esque, or uh, and uh, so there's real distinction, but nothing seems to have happened, even though they're you know. In, putting a lot of energy into trying to activate interest. Uh, nothing has happened that I've felt. Hmm. Yeah, I know. So, I, I, so I just knocked them all down. There really isn't a... Uh, you kind of you kind of have. I mean, and what a... Sally Hawkins for... Uh, not this time. Sally Hawkins was uh, in, uh, in uh, you know, uh, uh, um, Happy Go Lucky. That was her radiant performance. Uh, even if you didn't like the film as much, I didn't like the film as much. But she was really good. I mean, there's no question that she really understood that woman who had to see, you know, up vibes and everything and would ask people, are you happy? And uh, they said, well, you know, I was fine until you asked me if I was happy, you know, (laughs) the kind of person (laughs) that makes you feel miserable. They're so happy, you know, I, 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 um, she was good. She really was. Oh yeah. Well, um, the thing about Anne Hathaway is if, if she won one critics award, she'd be in the best actress race. Let's say that if the New York film critics named Anne Hathaway best actress, she's in. Not only is she in, but she automatically becomes a front runner. Mm. So that's all it would take. I mean, it's just the Oscar race is about perception. It really is. Yeah. It's so so much of it is about how it makes you feel voting for them, and so little right. of it is about quality. So okay. right. um, that's all it's going to take. They have to change the perception a little bit. Um, and they need great reviews. If the movie is panned, then obviously you could yeah. forget that. So yeah, yeah. 
Well, I can see, like I said, uh, our our friend Guy Lodge, uh, our friend Eric Cohn. I can see <laughs> that, that that crowd lining up and going. This movie is not any one thing. It's too much of a hybrid. It doesn't, you know, it's got to be this or it's got to be that, but mm. we don't like it when it traverses uh, genres. Now, you just said that it may not uh, be that well-reviewed, and I said that there are some regarding love and other drugs who I suspect like a guy I happened to talk to in the bathroom after the screening I went to. And he was an actor. He was not a critic, but he was an actor. And he was saying that it traverses genres, that it's two different movies simultaneously. So I want to talk, you want to talk about directors? Yeah, or? do you want to? Or I don't know. I just threw that out there as a possibility. Yeah. So. Um. Okay, so you feel, let's just go over, you had, you came gave me, uh, Sasha, a list of uh, the strongest contenders, and uh, I'll just, you know, so you say uh, right at the top, David Fincher, naturally, for The Social Network, mm -hmm. the uh, Danny Boyle uh, would, would seem to be a very prime uh, best director uh, contender for 127 hours, even though uh, I can't remember what happened with Slumdog. Did he win for that year yes, as well? Yes, the yes, GTA? Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then naturally, we, there's Darren Aronofsky um, uh, for um, Black Swan. I think that's there's no um, dispute there. And naturally, uh, I would think, although I'm starting to wonder how naturally, uh, Chris Nolan for um, Inception, because Jet was saying that there's a feeling on his part that they've got to uh, start advertising or do something because there's a feeling that it's, it's not as uh, strong in people's minds, um, even though it did so well and it and it caught on with audiences and it was uh, it was one of the most exciting and different uh, uh, you know action thrillers if you want to call it but it's mm -hmm. such, a, such a cerebral and very smart um, and and novel novel uh, imaginings so and then your fifth um, is uh, Tom Hooper who is the director of the King's Speech and again I would I would not dispute that because he so uh, adeptly um, um, cast the film as a film that really is happening in the late 30s and he makes it feel like something that uh, that plays out in in the way of a, of a late 30s film in a way you really feel like you're in pre-war england and it's it's very well judged that film so. right um I, I always look at it in terms of you know overall popularity because tom hooper's not a name and there's a chance that that he'll his name would be left off of the best directors list because you know traditionally there it doesn't usually happen that it's match matches best picture five to five. Yeah. Um, almost never happens that way. One director is always left off. Um, mm. But now that they have the ten nominees, um, yeah. we're still wondering which director will be left off. I think if Darren Ar Aronofsky is in there, one of the major five directors will be left off um, the list because he'll get the kind of auteur director spot if people really love that movie and I think they will so I don't know who's going to get bumped I don't think um, Tom Hooper would because you know everybody's thinking that the King's Speech could actually win and uh -huh. so if that's the case I don't see how he uh, he can lose but they need to get him out there he needs to be um, a big you know he his name needs to be known uh -huh. more than it is so he's been at every gathering that I've been to for the King's Speech. He's he's physically making the rounds. Oh, okay, uh, that's good. Uh, yeah. He's out in the Hamptons Film Festival. He's in Toronto. He's a nice-looking guy. He's very personable. He's you know so. That's good. That's yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. As as far as directors go, with so many big names in the mix this year, he right. he's going to have to really you know step up. I think a little bit more. 
He's going to need more press. He's going to people going to need to know his name. Right. Uh, now you have the Cohen brothers as possibles. Um, I I would submit <clears throat> that unless True Grit, which I do not believe is um, has the uh, um, I don't think it has the thematic. Uh, weight of, of of no country for old men. You know, it, if we go by the, I have not read the book, but I think we know more or less what it is. If you've seen the Henry Hathaway film, um, it's not a intriguing uh, film from a thematic standpoint. It's a yarn, a good, colorful yarn with good, colorful characters, hmm. and we know that they're going to do a great job, and they always do a great job. Right. But I don't know if this is their year or not. But who knows? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know, and you know, he's in the same on the same list or the same area with David O. Russell who yeah. we just don't know what's going to happen with that movie of course if you, by, the, by the Ann Thompson uh, standard uh, by the Ann Thompson uh, belief or suspicion uh, he's got a big problem with the membership of at least as far as the Los Angeles Academy is concerned because of his reputation as a uh, <clears throat> problematic fellow to work right. with Right, so it, you could see the fighter getting nominated for best picture, but uh, David O. Russell being left off the director's list. I could see the directors being kind of pissed off with him and not wanting to to nominate him. But if the movie the movie has to really really bring the goods for him to to make it into the five. Now, why do you think that um, that directors, uh, people that vote in for the DGA, why would they be pissed off at uh, at or not uh, be uh, warmly disposed towards? Uh... David O. Russell. I thought it was the actors that had the issues with him. Well, it might be the actors, but the actors don't decide best director. So, um, you know, the different branches all vote for the the nominees. So the directors are the only ones that we have to think about in terms of uh, David O. Russell getting nominated. So it's not relevant to think about what anybody else is going to think in terms of getting him a best director nomination. It's all about, so I think, but I also think that they are probably more likely to know him versus let's just say, for example, 6,000 members of the Academy, they're all not going to know that David O. Russell is an asshole, but the directors might. So if they decided to hold that against him, the other thing to consider is that we're coming out of a year that Catherine Bigelow won best director for the first time in 82 years. I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if they're going to, just say okay we're gonna have five white guys again or if they're (laughs) (laughs) that's funny (laughs) or if for a woman director yeah that's it for a while yeah now we can go back to business as usual (laughs) (laughs) so i'm wondering if you know i'm just wondering if lisa uh, chodolenko or um deborah granick might not make it in in a surprise fifth nominee i don't i know no one's predicting them to do that but Hmm. i'm just wondering you know then we uh, then you moved us down, move your list down, I should say, to Martin Scorsese. I don't think that's gonna mm. even. I don't care if they go to if they rent out the American Cinematheque for a month straight and have nothing but Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese <laughs> chats every day, twice a day with with free lunches. It's not gonna happen. It's just no. Not gonna what a shame. And what about Roman Polanski? No way, right? I mean, that's like. You know, bringing I, Frankenstein to the Oscars. I think uh, you know um, if it, the, that film is one of the best, uh, no question of the year. But um, I mean, it does not seem to be Roman Polanski's year. Uh, but I thought that the, the Ghostwriter <laughs> and I will continue to put it on my list as one of the best of the year, no question. It's so well made. It's such a good Polanski film. Okay, so how about the way back, Peter Weir? 
I'd like to be able to say something about it. I know what the um, feeling was coming out of Telluride, but I haven't heard word one about any screenings of that film. Have you? Mm, I'm seeing it Tuesday. Ah, okay. So, um, yeah. who's the pub? May I ask who the publicist is? Uh, Mike Rao sent me that link. You know Mike, right? Yeah. Um, he sent it to me, and he said, "You want to go see it at the Television Academy?" And I said, "Yeah, of course." So, I'm going to see it Tuesday, which is, you know, I don't always get the early screenings. I hardly ever do. So, I'm glad that I get to see this one. I'm, I'm curious about how, you know, Peter Weir is a great director. Yeah. I think he has very few missteps. The only one that I would say was a was a big misstep for Peter Weir was the um, Jim Carrey film. Um, yeah, Truman um, Show. The Truman Show, which I was so disappointing uh, to think that we would feel any emotion about this guy finally, you know, fighting his way out of that uh, of that realm, that fake realm, so he could encounter real life. <clears throat> and I think that this has been an oft-mentioned uh, point, but that was the end of the second act. It should have been the act, the end of the second. The third act is this TV guy, this guy living in a fake world, tries real life, and it he can't handle it. And mm. he comes back at the end of act three, and he's so happy to be back in the fake world. That would have been a great film. That would, that would have, have been. Played. I agree with you there. Um, I think it was pretty good. Jim Carrey, I didn't think, could handle it, but... Then you anyway. You mentioned Deborah Granick, um, uh, and she again very respectable. I don't think that that film uh, that Jennifer Lawrence is in, um, called Winter's Bone, is <clears throat> um, terribly transcendent. I think that's uh, it's it's kind of a place that I didn't really love being in. I knew I was seeing something uh, <clears throat> certainly true to what the life in the Ozarks probably is, and I didn't dispute for a second the. The thing. What do you think? I just don't think that the film is 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 particularly. Um, you know, it doesn't really. It, the film is not the hit. It's Jennifer Lawrence who's the hit. That's my feeling about that. About Winter's Bone. I mean. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think it was it was just beautifully directed. I particularly like the scene where she's in the slaughterhouse and she's running running around in that scene. But uh-huh. watching her move through that world, I just found it fascinating, frame by frame. I was impressed. I thought that she did a really good job. Um, I don't know if it's enough to beat the five white guys, but we'll see. Mm. You know, we'll mm. see if she gets in. If they give any kind of special consideration for, you know, the sort of the changing demographics, then they might go for either Lisa Chodolinko or Deborah Granick. I don't think uh, Sofia Coppola has a shot with Somewhere, do you? <clears throat> I will not see Somewhere until next week. I have been invited to it. Mm. They've. Um, I don't know why they're having screenings. I thought it was pretty much uh, a decision. Uh, across the board, that after the reception in at the Venice Film Festival, that it was um, uh, just not going to be you know, any kind of you know awards um, <clears throat> caliber uh, contender this year. Right. But um, so I'd rather uh, re- uh, reserve uh, judgment. However, uh, we all know what the reaction to uh, somewhere was, which is that it's uh, it's just it's just not on that level. It, it may well be something that that happens with a good segment of the public. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing the first, <clears throat> what I hear is the first um, noteworthy and strong and good performance from Stephen Dorff, uh, who plays the, the dad figure. So that looks kind of interesting just for that alone. Mm. Uh, uh, right, right. Okay. Mm. Oh, uh, well. And who knows about James L. Brooks? Who knows about how, how do you know without the question mark or with a question mark? But that's one of the worst titles um, you know, I mean, I <clears throat> of all the things that you could call, you know, you and I could jawbone about what to call this movie, and I swear to God, after maybe two hours of just thinking it through, we could come up with some pretty good titles if we, if, you know, for what that film is. 
and uh, and they are sticking because he's sticking with the title how do you know without a question mark which is one of the dumbest looking titles i've it's ever it's just one uh, of the my pet peeve titles which is they're naming hmm. it after a popular song and it's yeah. and when they do that it it almost always feels like a bomb to me you know it feels like okay this is a crappy movie that they're going to be sell like a Katherine Heigl movie that they're going to be selling to older women you know mm-hmm. how do you know if he... <laughs> so it's yeah. I mean I, I know they're trying to make it sort of like as good as it gets but mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a title but how do you know is just it could be anything and it's also unfortunately love and other drugs and that Katherine Heigl movie all three of those sort of had the same title it feels mm-hmm. like and so mm-hmm. there's just a little bit of confusion confusion there you know i bet if it's funny how we we've got this term that you have used and i've uh, used uh, parroting you that the term a Catherine hybrid film <laughs> <laughs> means something that's a little you know kind of a girly formulaic not that good you know and she's made those choices she's gone in that direction but i'll, I'll but i'll bet if you were to you know <clears throat> i'd sit in a room with uh with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Katherine Heigl and uh, and you know Sophia Coppola, let's say, or and 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 uh, and Anne Hathaway, I don't think they'd be that different. They'd probably have a lot of the same views. They'd probably be of the same kind of you know the, the same kind of ge- levels of electricity generating from their from their minds and their hmm. their intelligence. So it's just funny how these things get happen. But but it is you know. funny. I mean, they're like a product, right? They're being sold. It's the same as a Matthew McConaughey movie or a Kate Hudson movie. So let's wrap up. Uh, okay. uh, we've got some uh, last-minute topics. Might as well jump into these because they won't be as interesting uh, next week. So let's just jump really quickly. Okay. Your opinion of um, is Tyler Perry's for colors. <laughs> Which had uh, reviews come out on Friday from both trades, and they're they're not the end of the, you know, not, not the end all and be all, but the trades are the trades, and they both murdered it. Mm. So, um, well, I, I didn't think the Variety review was a murder. It wasn't. It was. Uh, there are things about it that are going to be okay. The the Hollywood Reporter was for sure. You know, they sliced and diced it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to get bad reviews, but does that matter? I mean, it's. I don't know if that's it's, my question. What do you think? I don't. I. I mean, it just has to depend on how bad it is. Hmm. It's just like with Precious. You know, you're you're dealing with a situation where there are a lot of other mitigating factors. The fact that it's the only movie with people of color in it in the Oscar race. The only hmm. movie. Right. Right. It's all white people. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's something to consider. The other thing is he's come out publicly last week with his story, his horrendous stories of abuse, which he aired on Oprah that he was abused mm-hmm. as a child in all sorts of awful ways so right there it's kind of a precious tie-in mm. and the fact that Tyler Perry is consistently bringing the box office you know I don't know why they would discount him for being a major player major money maker making perhaps crappy movies but he makes a lot of money with those movies I don't mm-hmm. know why they would write him off um, and they don't write all these other people off who make shitty movies that make a lot of money. So mm. we'll just have to see how bad it is. I mean, it's going to have to be really, really, really bad, you know, mm-hmm. to not get any sort of attention at all. It could get a Best Song nomination. There might be a supporting actress in there somewhere. I don't think it's didn't the I, Best pick. Didn't we hear somebody say maybe Janet Jackson or maybe another? No, it's not her. It's another actress whose name is not coming to me because I don't know her that well, but Stu Van Aristale, who uh, told me about it, said that she was exceptional. Oh, he's seen it already. He has seen it. Oh, I thought he was going to bat for it without having seen it. 
No, no. He um, there was a screening of it last, not this week, but it was actually the last week, and he and uh, six or seven other people saw it, and uh, I got some reaction from him as well as from Ed Douglas of Coming Soon, who was not a fan, by the way. Ed Douglas hated it, and yeah. Stu yes. Van Aersdale loved it or liked it or what? He, well, he likes um, uh, Tyler Perry. He's uh, he he's written, as I said in a, in my column piece, that he wrote a piece. Uh, that praised um, Perry in general for uh, for being a really strong voice and 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 understanding the zeitgeist and 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 someone that had integrity as a filmmaker. Now he's cornball and he, you know and there's a moralistic strain in his films, but he believes and I respect anybody who really goes to bat for another uh, for a filmmaker and and really means it. Uh, so I thought he would be coming out with something soon to um, to interject his thoughts about. Uh, about for color girls. Let's see what happens. Mm. But I, yeah, I that's I, you know after Precious last year, I'm I'm just not going to believe what people say about a movie in terms of critics' perspective because it's about more than just the critics' perspective. It's kind of a cultural thing, the Oscars. Uh. So I didn't. I mean, everybody thought Pre- Precious just wasn't good enough for this or that. Uh. Everybody was surprised that Lee Daniels kept getting nominated, and everybody was surprised when finally Precious won the screenplay award. Uh. That writer. That was, that was a real surprise. That, that was he, a huge shock. I mean, everybody thought Jason, um, Jason Reitman was going to win, right? Yeah, yeah. So the compensation you, factor. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't take anything for granted when a movie comes out like that with a really strong statement about the African American community. You just can't. So right. we'll see what right. happens, unless it's really, really terrible. You know. Now, some uh, just jumping over to another topic. Some, uh, including Patrick Goldstein and including Matt Zeller, sites of Salon. Uh, were, uh, were, were taking note of the what they felt was the hypocrisy of the Hangover 2 cast having basically told, uh, the rebelled against the idea of having Mel Gibson uh, play a cameo in that film. And they, uh, the director, Todd Phillips, and, uh, and Jeff Robinoff of Warner Brothers, they capitulated and they said, okay, we are going to unhire Mel Gibson and we're going to get Liam Neeson instead. <laughs> the, the, the point is that uh, it's, there is hypocrisy in saying no to Mel Gibson, but, saying, but not saying a word about Mike Tyson, who obviously has a very storied and problematic history as far as his relations with women are concerned, mm-hmm. not to mention his legal problems and, uh, you know, anger and hostility and, and, and some pretty bad stuff. So they didn't say a word about that, but they, but Gibson, because he's an anti-Semite, he's a racist, he's, he's, a, he's got major uh, anger issues, and he's an unattractive person by, by the standards of just about anybody or everybody in the, in the Hollywood community. So therefore, he cannot be in this thing, but but Tyson can, I, and I I see what he said, what they meant. What do you think? I, I think they make a good point. They do bring up a good point, but I think that it's kind of apples and oranges in a way. Uh, Mel Gibson is looking to rehabilitate his career. Mike Tyson wasn't. It was an, kind of an authentic cameo because Mike Tyson is a Vegas guy, and it was funny. But the other thing I think they're doing is that, believe it or not, The Hangover actually has quite a big uh, female fan base. I mean, a, a lot of women love it. I love it. I've seen it like three times. <laughs> and I think if you put in Mel Gibson, there goes that There goes that um, portion of your audience. I don't think anybody's going to... I don't think people are ready like you are to completely forgive and rehabilitate Mel Gibson. I, don't, I just don't think that they're there yet. 
I can see everybody getting hysterical about it, talking about his, you know, anti-Semitism, his sexism. I could just see it becoming a huge controversy. And why would you want a funny, silly movie like that to be, you know, suddenly turned so heavy and into these serious topics? You don't. You just want people to go in, have a good time, and leave, you know? Um, I want to say that I, I am not saying that I... I feel inclined to forgive Mel Gibson for being an anti-Semite or being uh, a racist who yeah. uses the N word and that sort of thing. Right. I, uh, I do not feel that way. But I. But I. But as Matt Zoller Seitz said, uh, to know that a person has uh, very icky personal issues or an actor has personal issues uh, sort of adds to the fascination in a way if they happen to be good in a role. It's just about how good they are, how yeah. uh, much they they transport you or take you away, and. Uh, from from the beaver standpoint alone, he, which he plays a guy who has a little hand puppet, a beaver hand puppet, who talks, who becomes his main you know way of expressing himself. Um, that sounds like beautiful uh, opportunity for Gibson to let his craziness, which has been right there on the screen for for many years. I mean, go, going all the way back to Lethal Weapon in 1987, he was playing a crazy cop, but now we know he was playing. What he had him in himself. I mean, you know. Right. But so. do you really want that to be what your movie's about? I mean, all the press beforehand would just be all this fervor about Mel Gibson and this and that. I mean, I wouldn't want it to be the take center away from The Hangover Two. I wouldn't. They don't need it. They've got a. They've got such a huge hit with the first one. Um, they don't need the extra publicity. I think it distracts from the fun of the movie. And finally, I think that when someone is is struggling like he is to to maintain his sanity and to get his life back on track in a way uh -huh. like Lindsay Lohan, the last thing they need is to be paraded around in the freak show. And I feel like we're just, we'd just be watching the Mel Gibson freak show. And I think he needs time away from the spotlight to get that's not right. Back on track. That's, that's not right. I understand what you're saying about the hangover too. Um, I understand that that makes sense, but it's not right to keep that movie that he did with Jodie Foster of all people, a good director, uh, the Beaver, it's called. That's what I was talking about. Right, right. And I don't think it's right to, to, like, what, send that straight to DVD, whatever they're planning. It's only because of the industry and Ari Emanuel and, uh, and the people who are, you know, in, in lockstep against this man uh, getting any uh, career back. They really hate him. They want oh. him, you know, ostracized. But, and this was something that was uh, statistically... Um, proven most people out there are not that bothered and they would go to see the beaver and they're then they, they consider him uh, yes a problematic person maybe on a, on a personal level and his racial views and you know he's a kind of a neanderthal but he's um he's supposed to be good and i i would love to see that film wouldn't you i mean i don't care what the no, people. I don't. I don't. I don't feel the same way about McGibson that other people seem to. Like, I don't think he's a racist. Um, I think he's got a problem with his temper. You know, so do I. Right? It's like mm -hmm. a lot of people have an inability to control their anger, and that was where I think his problem lies. Not in he's an anti-Semite. He's not an anti-Semite. He, you know, he goes crazy every once in a while. <laughs> I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying I don't hold it against him particularly. I don't immediately think you know, stand in judgment of him and say, oh, I'm so much more of a better human being than Mel Gibson is, you know? So you're of the general view that if one is drunk, uh, and what you say when you're drunk is not, um, uh, is a distortion of who, what you really feel, or it's just the real truth coming out without the inhibitions keeping your um, 
keeping your true sentiments from being revealed. In other words, he said it to a cop in the back of a car. He wasn't screaming right. in a fight when he said that Jews started all the world, uh, you know, began all the wars, and it's uh, they they are the inciters of, of wars. That's that's a pretty icky thing to say. Yeah, so, it is. You're right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I've never really been an alcoholic, so I don't know what it does to you. But I do know that people. Obviously, it, it must be a huge problem if they have to go into AA and get sober and never take another drink. I mean, if it was fine, they were just a happy drunk, nobody would want them to get sober, right? right. So obviously, some ugly stuff comes out of your mouth when if you have a drinking problem like that. And he also has a really serious drug problem. Um, I remember back in the 80s, my friend uh, who was a nanny for a family that worked with him on a movie, and he was doing cocaine every single day, you know, mm-hmm. hardcore cocaine, you know, bimbos in and out of his trailer. It took him a long time to sober up, and I think he's struggling with it, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay. That's my opinion. Right. I don't know. I mean, are we gonna are we gonna start, you know, holding everything people say against them when they're drunk for the rest of their lives? I don't think we should. I um I I just think that people believe that having been tape recorded saying the N word and also talking about Jews in a in a as kind of demonic figures who start wars that that that's like a that's twice that he's been uh, uh, reported to have these uh, strong feelings and it just doesn't seem like the sort of person like, he's got something right. really corroded in his soul just well he a- might then then if that's the case he'll never work in this town again you know and they, they will never res- resurrect the beaver the only shot they have at that is if he can somehow do a mea culpa and um, apologize and get sober and go on Oprah and talk for an hour about his evil addiction and how it makes him say these horrible things that's yeah. the only chance they have but I would okay. say to him, lay low, take a year or two off, get yourself back on track, and, you know, okay, that would be my opinion. Then they can release the beaver in a year. Hell, look at how long they waited to release the Hurt Locker, for God's sake. So anything's possible, right. you know. Okay. Well, this has been, um, um, uh, again, another very relaxed and, uh, and free-flowing discussion, and uh, had a great time, as usual. So Yeah, thanks, same bro. here. It's always a pleasure. Didn't have any, uh, and I, um, I think we may have actually gone only just a little over an hour this time. So uh, perhaps less editing than you. Yeah, perhaps. And it, again, it's always, <laughs> always really grateful. <laughs> no, I'm always grateful to your ability to put together a, you know, uh, articulate sentence, which you yeah. do very well. So. Well, thank you very much. It's you. You, you also. Uh, you're. Um, we're a good team. So um, uh, good now that team. we've done and uh, congratulated ourselves with such passion and with such <laughs> and uh, so serene in our knowledge that we're great, uh, I think that's uh, on that note we can <laughs> we can say goodbye and have a great weekend. Yeah. The rest okay. of your weekend. All right. Talk to All you right, soon. Be Bye. Well. Take care. Yep. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with. Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com and Jeff Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com. We'll see you next week. The one that makes me scream, she said. The one that makes me laugh, she said. Through her own.